Welcome to the Michigan Minds Podcast, a quick and informative analysis of today's top issues from University of Michigan faculty. This episode of Michigan Minds is part of a special series from University of Michigan Public Engagement and Impact in collaboration with the Office of the Vice President for Research to discuss firearm injury prevention. I am happy to be joined today by U of M faculty member, Dr. Jason Goldstick. Dr. Goldstick, can you please formally introduce yourself to our listeners and share a little bit about your role at the University of Michigan? Sure, uh, thanks. I'm an, a research associate professor at the University of Michigan's Injury Prevention Center. Um, so about my background, I'm a statistician by training. That's what I got my PhD in. And most of my research focuses on injury prevention just broadly, which is a a very interdisciplinary field. And as the statistics and methods director of the Injury Prevention Center, I've worked in many areas of injury prevention research, but most of my my research, the stuff that I work on actively or the projects I direct are related to substance use and violence. Can you explain how you conduct that research, implementing data analyses to examine public health and injury-related research? Uh, sure. So, you know, like I said, uh, most of my research does focus on substance use, violence, or the intersection of the two. And you know, a lot of the pro- projects I direct are you know, mostly spatial longitudinal analysis of violence outcomes or substance use outcomes or or things related to that. And also, you know, I, I am the lead statistician on a ton of federally funded behavioral intervention trials. So that's another area where it comes in. I think um, just as a some examples of projects that I run. There's, uh, which yeah, I know we'll probably talk about later, but sort of a, the precursor to a current R01 that I run was a project where we use data from the Flint Youth Injury Study to, um, to derive a, a predictive model for future violence. And this was a, a study of substance using youth in Flint, Michigan. And in that project, you know, we used you know, machine learning methods to pare down a very large candidate set of predictors and determine which variables specifically are most predictive of future firearm violence. That's really, that really was the foundational work for this, this new study. And another project that I run, which is really almost entirely a data analysis project, is, um, you know, at the Injury Prevention Center, we have an outreach core. One of our primary projects there is a statewide uh, overdose surveillance system called uh, SOS. And, um, yeah, I, I direct that. And so what in that project, what happens is the data is imported daily from uh, multiple sources and the, the system cleans the data and sends it to a web-based dashboard that generates automated spatiotemporal um, data summaries, basically. And you know, the way this is related back to the firearm violence stuff is you know, we plan to extend this framework to firearm violence surveillance if possible, because I think this would fill an important gap because one of the um, issues with firearm violence research is that there isn't a lot of uh, timely data that we can give to stakeholders, for example, for prevention, especially when it relates to non-fatal um, injuries. That's those, those are some data analysis projects that I run. I'm really glad that you uh, explained how it fits in with the this firearm injury prevention research conversation. Mm-hmm. And I want to go a little bit further into that because you Mm -hmm. recently received a grant from the CDC to assess young people's risk for firearm violence. Can you explain that and how that would work? Sure. So the the basic idea is that um, 
To most efficiently allocate a prevention and resources, you need to deliver them to the people at highest risk. It seems obvious, but this is true about you know, any other kind of screening process in a clinical screening tool or anything like that. And you know, in, in, with firearm violence research, you know, the, a missing prerequisite to this is an accurate gauge of risk. Uh, which is really the purpose of the project. You know, and I think the vision for the project, in my mind, and is what I proposed, is um, you, you use a, we, we conducted a prospective longitudinal study, and you know, we, we use the data there, you know, a, a large candidate set of predictors to derive a classifier for future firearm violence that performs well out of sample, you know, using cross-validation, and also uses as few predictors as possible. And then from that, from that, those results, you can create a risk score that can be used in clinical practice to quantify a person's risk for future violence and allocate resources as appropriate. And as, as I said, this is an extension of the work that, that from the Flint Youth Injury Study that we published in Annals of Internal Medicine a few years ago. And you know, in this case, this, um, this, this is a multi-site project now, and it does not focus only on substance use and youth. You know, I, I think that's, that's really the purpose of the project. And just to be clear, um, you know, something I also wanted to point out is that th this kind of analysis is not something really that's that's present in the fire and violence research. And one reason for that is because, you know, over the last several decades, there's been sort of a lack of funding for firearm violence research. And that lack of funding means that the field hasn't progressed in, in, in ways that many other uh, fields of public health have. And there are a number of basic questions about you know, risk and protective factors that are that are unanswered, and uh, what kind of interventions work are those, some of those questions are unanswered because it just the field just hasn't had the sufficient funding to answer those questions the way that most other areas of public health have. So this is is sort of addressing some of the missing information about how to properly screen and how to properly characterize risk and protective factors for firearm violence. Can you give an example of prevention resources or emergency department interventions that can be used when firearm violence risk is identified? Um, well, you know, that's a little tricky because like I alluded to before, um, a lack of funding for firearm violence research means evidence base is not as strong as it should be. But, you know, I think that in, in the last few years, I think, the, the tide is turning, and there are there were a number of projects funded under the same RFA that, um, that funded the, the screening project, and actually one of them is at the University of Michigan that, that's about a, a, an intervention to prevent risky firearm behaviors, including you know, violence itself. So I think one use of the predictive tool, you know, especially when those other projects are completed and, and we can see whether or not some of these interventions actually work is uh, you know, using the, the screening tool, you can determine who would receive those interventions, who should receive those interventions, you know, if, assuming they work. And um, I think currently, you know, I, in my mind, I would think that those with low risk, you know, might be good candidates for primary prevention. And those with moderate risk may, may benefit from other brief interventions. You know, like there is a, an intervention called Safer Teens that, that came out of the University of Michigan too, actually, that among other things um, has shown to be effective at reducing violence risk. And so maybe not, it's not specific to firearm violence, but it's about violence. So I mean, maybe brief interventions like that would be appropriate for people with moderate risk. Sounds like a very, you know, comprehensive approach from the predictive all the way through with all of the, you know, inter interdisciplinary work that takes place at the Injury Prevention Center. You know, continuing to talk about this project because it's immensely interesting. Why are you focusing on young people at high risk for firearm violence specifically? 
That's a good question. So, um, you know, like I've, I've, I've said a couple times, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff we don't really know about firearm violence, but one of the things we do know is basic epidemiology, especially of firearm violence deaths, because you know, there are there are some pretty gold standard data sources for that kind of thing, like from the CDC, for example. You, you, know, you can look at, at death certificate records from a, a couple of years back and see you know, total counts for various causes. And um, something that we do know about firearm violence is that youth are at much higher risk for interpersonal higher firearm violence, um, fatal injuries. The interpersonal violence is really the focus of, of my project and not so much um, you know, self-directed or unintentional as much, but yeah, that's that's also just to be clear. It's not to say that there aren't other groups at, at at risk for other types of violence. For example, you know, older Americans and especially those in rural areas are much higher risk for self-directed firearm injuries, and that actually comprises the majority of firearm deaths in the United States. Actually, and you know, one of the other one of the challenges though with um, you know firearm violence surveillance, for example, is that there are not a lot of good sources for non-fatal injury data. But the the data we do have does suggest that, first of all, among non-fatal firearm injuries, a much larger fraction of those are interpersonal um, injured, firearm violence injuries, not self-directed. So in other words, you know, the um, you know, self-directed firearm injuries are much more likely to be fatal than non-fatal. And so um, if you're really only focusing on non-fatal injuries, a, a, a decent majority of those are interpersonal um, firearm violence injuries and a, a very large majority of those are related to younger to the younger population. Um, it's just a much more common for for younger people to have interpersonal firearm violence injuries than older people. And so I think really <laughs> um, that's a long way of saying that the reason we focus on younger people in this study is because they are the highest risk group. And so it makes the most sense to to focus on them. It's really the most efficient uh, way to focus in a study like this. Your work is a part of the University of Michigan's new Institute for Firearm Injury Prevention Research, which is focused on building stronger infrastructure for research, educational activities, and community outreach. What do you feel is the significance of having a designated focus area like this at U of M? Well, I, I, mean, I don't think you can overstate the significance. I think that it's really a critical um, step um, really that goes towards undoing the lost generation of research that we basically have had over the last several decades. And um, you know, there are a couple other centers at universities across the, across the country that focus on firearm violence, but really nothing at the scale of this institute. And I think um, you know, with the, the kind of resources that we're putting into it, and um, I think it could go a long way to bringing up a new generation of researchers, but I know training is a big focus area of it. And, um, and providing a, a hub for firearm violence research in the US that, you know, like I said, nothing really uh, at that scale exists currently. And we're approaching National Gun Violence Awareness Day on June 4th. Can you explain the importance of discussing risk assessment, prevention, and intervention as a part of this broader national conversation? Yeah, um, so, you know, I think scientific research follows the process, right? And you can't just randomly try things and hope that they work. I mean, you have to collect evidence and determine what works. And then you have to determine where to focus the resources or focus the things that you find out work. And, you know, that's, that's really how we have, we have solved other public health crises. And this really, it shouldn't be any different. We've turned the corner on a longstanding barrier to fire and violence research funding. 
And I think it's time to mobilize the same processes for that, that we, for example, dramatically lower traffic injury rates in the, over the last 40 years or so. I mean, the, the rate of traffic injuries have really per capita have dropped dramatically in the last 40 or 50 years. And it didn't just happen randomly. It was from, you know, evidence-based you know, approaches to, to injury prevention. And, I, and it's really, it's really no different. You, know, you, you can do a lot of the same stuff that you do with traffic injuries, nobody banned driving or anything like that. And you, you can just make it safer. And I really think the only way to do that is to first collect the missing evidence, determine how to do that. And I think that's why it's so critical to have strong research infrastructure for this kind of thing. And I think the center, the Institute is really um, a big part of that. Thank you so much, Dr. Goldstick, for joining Michigan Minds for the special series and sharing so much important information. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Listeners can learn more information at firearminjury.umich.edu. Thank you for listening to the Michigan Minds podcast, a production of the University of Michigan. Join the conversation on social media with hashtag UMichImpact.